When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. I pounded on a farmhouse looking for a place to stay. I was mighty, mighty tired. I had come a long, long way. I said, hey, hey, in there, is there anybody home? I was standing on the steps feeling most alone. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Border Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me to talk about Motorcycle Nightmare from 1964's Another Side of Bob Dylan is fellow Bobcat, Paul Schmitz. Hi, Paul. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to meet you and great to have you on the show. Wonderful to be here. Great song. <laughs> I am dying to find out why you would pick this one to talk about. It's a curious choice for sure, <laughs> the Dylan Cannon. <laughs> but uh, before we get to Motorcycle Nightmare, by the way, either spelled N-I-G-H-T Mare or N-I-T-E Mare. We'll get into all that shortly. So we'll see which one you prefer. <laughs> uh, we have to find out. How did you become a fan of Bob in the first place? So growing up, you know, Bob was on the radio in the 70s when I was growing up. Uh, I think the funniest memory of that was I used to hear the song Lay Lady Lay as Lady Elaine. And when I was okay. a little kid, I used to think it was about the puppet on Mr. Rogers. <laughs> um, of course. And <laughs> so I don't think I realized it was not Lady Elaine. I didn't know. I think it was about the puppet anymore, but I, I didn't know the what the real words were much later. You know, Blowing in the Wind was was around and like a Rolling Stone, but it was really... I remember the first time I saw him was uh, Saturday Night Live used to have this one hour version of the show they would play of it was like reruns they would show, but they were hour long and they'd show them in kind of almost prime time or yep. late afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were at and 10 o'clock at night first, sometimes. Yeah. And that's when I saw Bob for the first time doing Serve Somebody and that confused me. And um, <laughs> I know what that was about. And I'm like, this is that guy? I was really into the Beatles and Who when I was in 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 middle school and and still to this day really. But um, reading about them, knowing about them, knew they were into Dylan. I borrowed uh, greatest hits from somebody, and um, it at that age it didn't hit me. I, I remember being surprised that Tambourine Man wasn't just a bird song. I was like, you know, and and but it was really uh, Infidels came out, and in the early eighties was MTV period. Joker Man and and um, Sweetheart Like You were in the mix. And I love both of those songs. Mm-hmm. And that's when it started clicking for me. And, and that's kind of when I got on the bus was with Infidels. And that was the first record I got. And then one day, uh, I, one evening, I heard Tangled Up in Blue on the radio. Oh. <laughs> and I, I can remember where I was, the edge of my bed sitting there and just freaking out. <laughs> And wanting to know what is a song where like, and I have to say, it took me a couple of years to find it. I think that's one of the things it's funny hearing some of the people you interview who are younger. I just can't imagine growing up and like all of a sudden you're like, oh, this guy's interesting. And having his entire like (laughs) everything he ever did available to me instantly. (laughs) It was like you had to figure out who had the record or what record it's on. You couldn't Google it. You couldn't find it. I remember going the first tape I, I made I went to my friend David's house. He had bringing it all back home in another side. And, you know, you went to someone's house after school with a 90-minute cassette tape. And you sat in their room and you listened to the record. You taped one record on each side. And that's how you kind of would find things. 
so for me, it really started then. And then I, I started going deep and, and started falling in love. And, you know, for me, the next big inflection point in a way was, Oh mercy. I mean, I'd been collecting, I'd seen him several times, but that record when it came out just floored me and still would be one of my absolute favorites. Um, at the time of life when that came out, it just was everything to me. Um, but that's how, that's kind of the journey into it was, was, was that way. Uh, but running around to people's houses, my other friend David made a tape of, uh, blood on the tracks. Uh, I remember borrowing, uh, Highway 61 from another friend. My friend Steve had the first record. So if you wanted to listen to that, you went to his house. You know, we couldn't afford to buy like all these records back then. We were in high, we would tape every, you know, someone would have the record, you tape it and they tape stuff of yours too, but you had to go find it. <laughs> uh, do you recall, uh, when you, between hearing Tangled Up in Blue for the first time, did you get to hear it again uh, or did you have to wait until you got the record and then you were able to hear it for like a it second? It took time? me a couple of years. To, I would ask people and I couldn't find it. Like, I was like, I think I first thought it was called Tangled Up in You or something. And like, <laughs> I just, I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the, 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 the chorus out of my head. You know, Who's like, Elaine? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> right. And I didn't know the word. I just was like, I just knew that the sound of that song was unlike anything I'd heard. And I loved it. And, <laughs> You know, I would find records and listen to things and, you know, and I would ask people, oh, do you know this song? And, you know, and eventually someone's like, yeah, that's blood on the tracks. And then, you know, you go to the record store, they don't have it. And uh, and then you find somebody who has it. What record store doesn't have blood on the tracks? What is that? Well, this about? was 1985 or something, you know, uh, so. All right. I mean, it's only 10 years old at that point. I mean, geez, what that old. Record. They're like, no, but Tim by the replacements is really great. You know, like, you know, they were. Why are you listening to Dylan? <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah, and maybe Empire Burlesque was the new record at that point. Oh so, yeah, I, I mean, so I, record record stores weren't like, oh yeah, he's great. You should go deep on him. <laughs> well, it's a good thing they're gone then. Uh, yeah, no, I'm no, kidding, of course. Uh, no, I remember uh, when I heard Dignity on the radio, mm. and this was 1994. You know, when mm. the Greatest Hits came out, or 93, yeah. whenever that was. And I just, I, I couldn't get it because it was playing on the radio before Greatest Hits had come out. Mm. And they had no pre-release, no like <clears throat> advanced word that there was, I had no idea that there was an original song on yeah. Greatest Hits. And it was just all of a sudden dropped like, oh, hey, here's a new Bob Dylan song. I was like, what? And then I hear this song. I'm like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> and I couldn't. And I was like trying to just let it soak in my brain. Because I knew I couldn't yeah. hear it again until, so I'm trying to think of a hearing tangled up in blue for the first time and just trying to let it seep into the crevices of your brain because you're like, oh, oh my God, I got to hear this again. Oh my God. And yeah, <laughs> it really is a, a, to a whole new world to be able to say, Hey, I like this artist. Oh, look, with the click of a button, here's their entire catalog for the last half century. Right. No, you go to the record store and you turn around every Dylan record and read the songs down the back and be like, is this the one that has that blue song? You know, like that was what was kind of going on. And you never knew if the song was named after what the chorus was. But right. then eventually I found out what it was and um, and found someone who had it. And, you know, and then I got the treat of everything else on it and was like, oh, my God. What album is that? Everybody must get Stone Song on. I can't find it. It seems like <laughs> a big hit. I can't find it in these records. Right. Uh, have you seen him live? I have. I, I saw him twice on the Tom Petty tour. I saw oh, nice. him in 86, saw him twice with the dead in 87. 
And then saw him a few times between 88 and 91. And then I frankly decided I was done with him as a live artist. I just, uh, it's funny. Paul Williams in his book writes about one of the shows I went to, which is one of the shows that I was just like, I'm done. And he writes about it. But it's like, I look at the song list. There wasn't a song on there I would have ever known. Mm. I mean, he did weird cover, like, and you're just sitting there and you're like expecting it was. And I remember that tour specifically was after Oh Mercy. And I'm like waiting to hear these songs. <laughs> and I'm like, and he's playing some like folk song from, you know, the past and like a cover <laughs> of someone else that's obscure. And like, and it, and he played a short concert. It was in the newspaper the next day that it was at Summerfest, which is a big fest music festival in Milwaukee. And he left um, to go see Johnny Winters play after he played. And um, he just didn't seem to care. And like, and so I still kept collecting them, but I didn't go back. I didn't go back after 91 till 99 when I saw him with Paul Simon. And then uh, in 2008, I saw him and I didn't like it at all. And really? I thought I was off the bus. Yeah, I, I saw a show where it was just, yeah, it, it didn't, you know, I walked away and was like, okay, I tried again. I'm done. I'm not going to see him again. And then I saw him with Wilco at the um, in my morning jacket at the Americana Festival. I think it was 2013, and it was great. And I'm like, all right, hmm. I'm back on the bus. And then I started going to see him again over the next few years. Huh. I, so I've, been, I've been on and I've been on and off the bus a few times. What was it about the 2008 show that that left such a bad? It may have been the mind. sound was really bad. I think okay. I think so. You know, it's one of those where I'm listening and I'm with a, a close friend of mine who we listen. Like, and we're laughing because we're like halfway through every song trying to guess what the hell it is because I can't mm, hear anything he's singing. And like, and I just like the energy was low and it was right. It was weird because it was also like one or two days after the election in 2008. And, you know, I was all excited and saw him and like, and it just was, you know, I felt like I'd spent a lot of money and like didn't get any, I didn't get any of the feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, like I got off the bus once before, I got back on, now I'm getting back off. And then accidentally got back on a few years later when I saw him and really loved it. No, no, okay. So, I mean, why did you go again if you didn't like, were you just like, all right, I'll give him another, it had been five oh, years, well, I'll no, give him another chance or? No, I just, it was because I went to the, I, I'm a huge Wilco fan. Oh, uh, okay. And, um, you know, it was Richard Thompson and My Morning Jacket and Wilco and Dylan, I'm like, let's go. And I had friends who left before Dylan's set because he was the last thing. He was the the last performer. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to stay, of course. And if it's like bad, we'll leave. And I was mesmerized and like, was like, okay, I'm back. <laughs> well, good. So I've been on and off that. a little bit. I, you know, like I, but I never, I always, the through line always was the records, the bootlegs, all that I was always way into just as a live artist so i kind of came in and out in the um in the 90s and 2000s all right fair enough fair enough when was when's the last time you've seen him i saw him uh the opening night of the rough and rowdy ways tour in milwaukee oh nice okay and my son and i were first row and it was first pretty, row pretty pretty exciting oh um, wow and i would say of all the times i've seen him that's that's the one that i'll always hold um, cause it was so amazing and I love those songs so much and hearing the first time and just the energy in the audience was unlike anything, you know, it was beautiful to see someone debut all these songs and just like, 
you know, I'm sure there were people back there, you know, wanting, you know, where's blowing in the wind and Rolling Stone, but a lot of the audience was just ecstatic every time he played one of the new songs. And that was fun. I mean, he, to be fair to him this time, he is calling yeah. it the rough and ratty ways tour. I mean, yes. he really <laughs> is letting you know. I mean, I, I totally understand in 1989, 90. Right. And he's got a, he's got a new record out and then he's playing, you know, the, the lady from Carlisle, some old folk song. You're like, <laughs> like, where's political world? Where's everything is broken? What's happening? I, I, exactly. I get it. If you, if, you, if you don't know that that's his sort of shtick, I don't, I don't want to say shtick in sort of a, in a bad way, but if you, if you don't know that that's his MO, that's a better way of putting it. I could see why you'd walk away disappointed, but rough and rowdy ways at the point. Right. He's telling you right there. Yeah. This is the rough and rowdy ways stores. If you like, if you don't and, like that record, you're just looking to hear blown in the wind or say motorcycle nightmare. You're not going to hear it. So, okay. Well, good. And again, you- back then, and again, back then, no, there was no way to know what he played. The, I couldn't go online and look sure. at previous set lists. Right. I couldn't even know what the set list. I'm like, what the hell are these songs? And there was like, you know, the guy next to me is like, I don't know. Like, you know, there's no one knows what's going on. You can't like look it up the next day and be like, oh, what are these? And then go find those songs and listen to them like quickly online. You're just like, okay, like what the hell was that? And so it, it, it did leave, you know, back then and, and, and again, just because there was also probably half his catalog I hadn't found yet at that point. Um, did you, what did your son think of the show? Oh, he's so I've got I've got five uh, kids and they're all adults, but the um, one of them is a, a big Bob fan. One or two are kind of Bob fans. One is a little bit, and one not at all. <laughs> but you still love them, though. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but uh no he he was really excited to be there it was we we were very lucky to be where we were and to be at that show and you know i haven't seen him since i i wouldn't mind seeing him again but it's it's a little bit like also just like having seen what i thought was just such a great show i'm like kind of like i don't know let's just leave it, it where it is amazing yeah like it was a great great feeling all right well that's that is excellent so okay paul motorcycle <laughs> nightmare uh, you know, we all know the legend of this record is that it was recorded entirely in one night and it was, yeah. uh, and it, that was, they were him and, uh, Bob and his producer, Tom Wilson planned that. They apparently had said that to a reporter on the outset of the evening that that, that was always the intention was to record the entire record in one go, which is, you know, an extraordinary feat when you think about nowadays, records are take. Well, even back then, I mean, good Lord, you know, Sergeant Pepper took how long to make? Like months and months yeah. and months. And he's <laughs> yeah. cranking out an entire record in one night. Now, there is much to say about this song and, and, and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good come from this song. But I think it's safe to say if that record had not been recorded the way it had been, where it was sort of whatever we record tonight is what's on the record. This would not have made the final cut. I don't think. Right. Do you agree with that assessment? I don't. I think it's I <laughs> okay. One, I think the song's hilarious. You know, it is a story from beginning to end, right? Like it's a story that actually like holds together, right? Is it's it's not a dream sequence. It's something that holds together through. I think it's very funny. I thought it was very funny when I first heard it, and continue to think it's funny. And I think there's some interesting elements of it that kind of that that I think also. You know, if you put it in the context of its time, but also you put it past. I mean, if you think about the fact that, like, um, 
I mean, what uh, Times Are Changing came out like six or seven months before it. Unbelievable. And the <laughs> songs on that are, you know, it's very political, very serious, and, you know, perhaps preachy, you know, uh, in a way I love. I mean, there's songs on that that are, are some of my favorites. Um, and then he does a record that's not political, yet he throws in a song that uh, is both very funny, but also in a kind of humorous way. Uh, making a kind of political statement at the time. And I think that's what makes it funny. And the other thing I, I about the song that I love is it, it's, to me, example of Dylan as a portal, especially back when I first heard it. You know, I remember hearing this uh, with my friend David, and we memorized all the lyrics back then. We used to shout it together in the school just to, because I think part of it was this thought that, like, if you knew enough to be in on the jokes in this, you must be smart. <laughs> and the other thing is like, I rented, I went to Blockbuster to find La Dolce Vita. I watched Psycho again. I like, you know, we all watch La Dolce Vita. <laughs> you know, we had to know what that's about. Like, right. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, what the hell is this? Right. But, you know, we're in high school watching like Italian foreign film. I'd never watched a foreign film before. Uh, three hours the whole film right too. trying to figure out the whole Castro thing and what that's about and like you know there were just so many things in there and and what I find about Bob that I love is I think about how many rabbit holes I've gone down due to Dylan's songs throughout my life and how many books it's led me to how many movies how many poems how many uh, musical artists you know you know, you're listening to Bob and then you're like, well, you know, eventually you end up at Hank Williams and you end up with Johnny Cash and Buddy Holly and Little Richard, you know, like it, he takes, you know, I, what I love about Bob is I feel like there's so much of my world that I've learned and experienced that, you know, his songs transported me into spaces where I wanted to figure them out. And, and so to me in this one, again, like it, you know, brought me into foreign films. It brought me into, you know, trying to understand what the deal with Cuba is and why that's funny. And like, what's the deal? <laughs> why are there sort of readers digests like being thrown at the, my parents have those, you know, like, so there's so much, but the, you know, so that's, that's a big piece of it for me is just like how, especially back then when, you know, Google was the, the, the 20 year old uh, encyclopedia Britannica that your parents had in the, in the living room. Uh, ours was from 1965. So it, you know, like going back and be like, what are the, I was the youngest of six. So you're going back through it to find stuff and it's like not answer your question. And you know, you, you did, you couldn't just like go figure, you had to search for stuff. Right. But I felt like Bob put me on a lot of journeys and, and rabbit holes and still does. And clearly still does a lot of people by all the podcasts and everything else of, of people like, examining exploring or everything else like he sends us uh to a lot of places absolutely do you recall what your reaction was to la dolce vita watching it for the first time oh i think confusion i was yeah. like <laughs> i've I never like, left the country i'm like in the midwest in a suburban community i'm like 16 or something and i'm like what the hell is this and at, at the same time it all seemed very fancy and cool um and it felt, again, like a world where it's like, ooh, what's this world about? 
So, so to me, that's what, that's what made it exciting. But I just feel like he's this portal that um, in my life has, has transported me to a lot of times, places, you know, I listen to something like boots of Spanish leather and I'm like, you know, I'm imagining this time when, you know, you know, I traveled abroad and lived abroad for a while and like, didn't go on a ship, but, you know, that's that romantic notion of all of that. And so I just, I think that like he, he does that in a way that I can't think of another artist who has so many references and things that kind of like have sent me scrambling for things. I mean, some of Lennon's solo stuff, some other people, but you know, Bob really is the, the one who, you know, I think has sent me to the most places over my listening time. Yeah, I don't mean to knock this song uh, harshly or anything. It, to me, it does feel uh, almost like a leftover from f- the freewheeling days. It, to me, it has a, a more youthful Bob kind of tone to it. I could see this being on that record more than Another Side. Not that Another Side doesn't have some quote-unquote funny songs. I Shall Be Free, number 10, right. is clearly a goof. Uh, right. you know, and then you've got some other same spirit as this and also is, you know, leans into the Cuba Fidel Castro thing again. Like, there's two songs focused on Castro and Cuba. That's see, that's funny that that's why to me, it always feels like it's a, it's a holdover. And again, I know it isn't, but like Castro, I mean, look, Castro was, had been running, was running Cuba all the way up until just about 10 years ago. But the (laughs) the Cuban missile crisis was, you know, 62, 63. That to me, I'm surprised that that it just seems like, all right, I got some information. Oh, okay. Yeah. So December of 63 is when he gives the speech at the New York Civil Liberties, you know, he gets right. the Tom Payne Award, right? Right after the Kennedy assassination, yeah. Right. And he talks about Cuba and Castro. Not only that, but he accepts the award on behalf of James Foreman from SNCC, but also on behalf of Philip Luce, who was one of the first young people to break the Cuban travel embargo and go there. So... And think about the fact that he's getting a free speech award while being while being booed for exercising his free speech. (laughs) And the last line of this song is without freedom of speech, we might live in a swamp. Right. The but the other thing, (laughs) which is Susie Rotolo was uh, was one of the the five leaders of the second effort to break the Cuban travel embargo. And she arrived in Cuba on June 12th and was there for two months. And she was in the news in Europe every day with the five students who had traveled first to England, then to France, then to the Czech Republic. And it was international news that these students were part of a group of 80. The others had already slipped in, but these five had the the others had kind of secretly uh, broke the ban. But these five students include Susie, who's only 20 years old and also wasn't really a student were defying the tr- the Cuban travel ban and on their way there where she would be there for two months. Now, he records this on June 9th, which is while she's in Europe, in the papers every day, making her way to Prague to defy the Cuban travel ban and go to Cuba. I don't know. Like, he has two songs uh, singing about Castro and Cuba. Not long ago, he gave a free speech uh, 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 talk where he gets booed for talking about Cuba and Castro. And Susie's on her way there. He had broken up with her, but they're still in touch. And she's in the news every day. So that's why I think it kind of fits the time. This is the moment. He dedicated his award to the first person to do it. And his ex-girlfriend's about to be the next person who defies the travel ban in a very public, internationally celebrated way. That's a solid poll, Paul. 
I, I, I didn't know any of that. That's really good. I said, man. I mean, said clearly, it he was it was he had written it recently. All these songs are were minty fresh uh, when he recorded them. So, but yeah, that's it. That had to have been on his mind uh, at on some level. It when had he wrote to this. be. I mean, I I it was it literally in the news daily at the time until they got there June twelfth. You know, he's a guy who's reading the papers at that time of his life. And he's still in touch with her and, and I'm sure knows this is happening. And, you know, incidentally, six months before, like dedicated as a word to someone else who did it. So clearly he felt passionate about it and he makes fun of it in both songs. And so I think that's the, the, that's the part. And obviously I didn't know that because, uh, when I was 16, I didn't have the books. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> Then I just thought it was funny and I was like learning about what the Cuba thing was all about. And, you know, like I knew that existed. I knew it was a communist, thing, but I didn't really know the story or why, you know, somebody making fun of that. And my parents were, were very much Reaganite anti-communist. Republic, so I got that. And and again, with this song, you think about it now, it's like you could contempt, you could make the song contemporary with like showing up on 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 a farm where someone comes out in a red hat. And mm-hmm. you're pretending to be like, you know, pretending to be something you're not to get in. And then like next thing they're chasing you with a gun and like, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, what could you say that, you know, it wouldn't be, I love Fidel Castro and his beard. You could say about a hundred other things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I love queers, you know, you could say whatever and they chase you just the same. Or I, I teach critical race theory. Um, <gasps> that today, 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 that line, today, that line might be. Uh, that if you wanted to get chased out, you said, I, I'm sorry, I'm trying to teach your daughter critical race theory. And I don't know what it is, but I'm mad about it. <laughs> right. And and maybe instead of instead of throwing Reader's Digest, he'd be, you know, truth socialing about it or something. But but, you know, it's this this, re, you know, this kind of reactionary patriotism that's really false and that that he's kind of making fun of in the song and it's still something we see i mean look at the you know recently we had that chinese balloon and there's people taking pictures themselves with shotguns and <laughs> like no, just... and everyone and everyone's like trying to, and it's like and then they're like oh i guess this has been happening for a few years and you know you know all the stuff but all the all the ways people whip themselves into frenzies over it and you know we still have that kind of politics in our country and that's what he's making fun of. Um, we truly do live in the dumbest timeline. We really, right. really do. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I do like about the song t- is that to me, it has a very kind of mad magazine energy to mm-hmm. it uh, in terms of that. It's got, I mean, obviously you've got the framing of the, the sort of a guy showing up with the, and there's a farmer's daughter kind of thing, which is like, you know, <laughs> a hoary old joke, but then you've right. got psycho, the, you know, the movie psycho <laughs> be kind of overlaid into it. And then you've got this sort of political thing going on and that was very mad magazine May magazine would do movie parodies but they would also throw in other gags and they would throw in political humor um in a kind of very youthful slightly juvenile kind of way like the jokes in the song are really corny and we know right. bob as an older man loves corny old dad jokes you know yeah. <laughs> the man loves these jokes so it's like you can sort of see this was already formed as even like a 24 year old 23 year old he still had that kind of uh, you know feeling of like this stuff made him made him laugh now i wondered 
you know, I'm like, okay, Psycho, he's borrowing a lot from Psycho here. And this is, you know, 1964. Psycho yeah. comes out in 1960. And, you know, that's uh, back then movies came and went. You know, they didn't, they, yeah. they, there was no home video. So I thought, was Psycho still in the parlance of, of the average American in 1964? And then I, I went and looked the film up and I thought, well, maybe it got re released somewhere. Maybe Bob had seen him. Bob's a big mm. movie guy. We do know that. And I couldn't find any uh, any instances of Psycho being re-released anywhere. Now, we know that he had been in Greece uh, just before the recording of this. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the songs like Chimes of Freedom and stuff were written. And I thought, now, you know, I, just because there's no official record doesn't mean it didn't happen. So, I mean, maybe some theater was showing. Certainly, I'm sure in Greece, they were playing the Dolce Vita somewhere. But yeah. maybe some theater was showing Psycho and it just sort of popped into his memory again. Because it just seems like. Yes, Psycho was a was a trend setting movie in 1960, but this is a full four years later. Was it really that much still on people's minds? Were, were people still able to reference it in 1964? I don't know, but again, that's what to me gives it that Mad yeah. Magazine kind of energy. I can almost right. picture this uh, if it was illustrated, drawn by one of those classic Mad artists, like a Mort Drucker kind of guy, where the with these exaggerated. Uh, caricatures of everybody because it just has that feel to it and that's that is something i like about because i love mad mags yeah i mean it's 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 interesting that way the other thing is that i mean he basically took this song and turned it into bob dylan's 115th dream on bring it all back home it's right. the same tempo it's the same you know it's basically a similar song uh just much more impressionistic it is a dream right like it's not a beginning end story it's yeah. like you know and 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 which is also hysteric i find hysterically funny i mean i find both of these songs just really really funny so it's and, and maybe the two funniest songs i can think of by them. i mean there's probably some others if i thought about it but they're both so funny and but i mean just the the images in this of like you know you know hitting his fist on the ice box and doing the somersault as you as he went goes to get his gun and crashing through the window and all these kind of elements and i love just the part of like you know sleeping under the stove and i was sleeping like a rat when i heard something jerking i mean um one of the great Rita looking just like tony perkin you know yeah. like what a great but i mean whoever i've never thought of like sleep like who sleeps like a rat that gets me like he wasn't sleeping but you know there's just so many clearly he was thinking and and i just i think the funniest part is just that like you know, I couldn't just leave because I promised to milk his cow, right? Like, I have to do something because I promised to milk his cow. I can't just leave here. <laughs> He's got to earn his keep. He's going to stay. Right. I mean, that's so, okay, it's well, the whole the whole chase and the guns and everything else is because he's worried if he leaves without milking the cow, he's going to, you know, let the guy down. It's just <laughs> not going to not going to have his honor. And he's a man with the dirt beneath his nails. So he's got to have honor. I love in the second verse where he says, uh, you know, I fell down to my bended knees saying, I dig farmers. Don't shoot me, please. He cocked his rifle and began to shout. Are you that traveling salesman that I've heard about again? <laughs> and the classical joke. No, no, no. I'm a doctor. And it's true. I'm a clean cut kid. And I've been to college, too. Well, just as a random note, I think, is this the only song where Bob Dylan accidentally name checks another one of his songs? Where he's got clean cut kid in here. I mean, obviously he doesn't, he's huh. not doing it on purpose. It's the only time I can yeah. think of where he might have done that. Um, huh. but I, I like that the idea that he's of all the things he's, I'm a doctor, you know, like I'm a doctor. That's, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm okay, you know, like I'm not, I'm not right. some sort of 
scruffy bum on the dock. You can respect that. Uh, but the then, line when when he's being chased, where he says, "You unpatriotic, rotten doctor, commie rat." Yep. I mean, he pulls back in the rat. The do- I, I, you know, the whole. I that to me was always just such a great funny combination, <laughs> like just the whole thing and the order of it and the rhythm of "You unpatriotic, rotten doctor, commie rat." Yeah, yeah um, rotten doctor, commie rat. Like it's the as it's you said, so the, uh, the the jerkin and Perkins is really one of the great <laughs> Dylan. Audacious Dylan rhymes of all time, you know, uh, just <laughs> coming, you know, just, just the word jerkin is just a funny word to hear in a song. Uh, but Rita looking just like Tony Burns, would you like to take a shower? I'll show you up to the door. I said, Oh, no, no, no. I've been through this now in the, on BobDylan.com, the line is, Oh, you know, I'll show you up to the door. I said, Oh, no, no. I've been through this before. But in the right. song on another side, he says, I've been yeah. through this movie, this movie before, before yeah. he interjects the word movie. So that, and I think about that, that that's a, a, you know, he's now he's in the story, but he's also standing outside the story, yeah. commenting that he's in a story. And that makes me think of Black Diamond Bay, where, you know, he mm. goes through this whole story and then he pulls back and realizes, oh, the whole thing is just a story being told by the narrator and now the narrator is you know outside of the 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 story um but again i love the the, the shower scene again in 19 <laughs> in 1964 was that that prevalent i think it was like it must have been it must have been i mean it still was iconic years later now we had tv reruns and things but i think it was iconic enough that it was in the zeitgeist i think it was still present I think it was such a, a a a huge movie at the time that I I'm I think the reference worked and it, and it it just filled you know it just it when he figured that out when he came up with this he must have laughed himself to you know <laughs> a riot as you say but yeah I have the 1985 lyric book and there it also doesn't have the word movie in it <laughs> and I wonder if like when he finished he thought it was too on the nose that he didn't need to say that but. In the song, it's like it, it's kind of needed for the rhythm of that line. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, the line's a little too short without that. The only pause he takes is after he says La Dolce Vita, which I think is funny, too. <laughs> like, you you know, he's all it's always keeps going. And then the only time like and he just has a couple strums after it. And it's kind of like a little wink to say, ha ha. Figure this out. So after the guy says he likes Fidel Castro and the dot and the, the farmer <laughs> says, what did I hear you saying? He says, I like Fidel Castro. I think you heard me right, which again, he's doing it to, so he can get chased out. And he ducked yeah. and he, as he swung at me with all his might, Rita mumbled something about her mother on the hill. As he hit his fist at the icebox, he says he's going to kill me. If I don't get out the door in two seconds flat, you on patriotic rotten Dr. Comey rat. The line about Rita's mother being on the hill now obviously means Rita's mother is dead and she's buried out on the hill. I, I don't. I mean, maybe there's this song doesn't require that, but I always kind of wonder: is there a connection there to the Fidel Castro to communism? Like, what is it about that that is connected up to the mother being on the hill, the mother being dead? Like, how well, how did how do those two things connect to each other? I, I saw that more as a as as psycho. Because wasn't the Tony Perkins character's mother dead? Yes. So I always thought that was more like related to that because, you know, she's on the hill. <laughs> He's talking to her still and pretending. Is he? I'm, I haven't seen this movie since I think I, I saw it when I when I first heard it in the 80s. But uh, isn't that part of his his kind of 
character that he still kind of talks to his mother or something. She's yes, in the, right. In the, well, right. In yeah, the rocking the, chair. Yes. Yeah, she's so in the I rocking kind of, chair. Yeah. So I kind of and I don't know. I just always thought that was in reference to, you know, that was again a reference to Psycho and the mother on the hill and Psycho and that she's dead and, you know, but they're probably not doing that. And then of course she goes away to get a job at a motel. Right. Um, yeah. So it's like he completes the cycle to make sure we all know that he's still in the movie. I love in the next verse when it says, well, he threw a reader's digest at my head and I did run. (laughs) I love that reference because that is, I think probably to a lot of people. And when I first heard the song, it, it, it did, I didn't understand it. I was like, I knew what Reader's yeah. Digest was because it existed, but I didn't understand why specifically that reference. And then it wasn't until much later on that I learned that to some people, although the real, the real rabid anti-communist people, they thought Reader's Digest was like a communist, you know, sympathy rag. And they said, if you take out the third, fifth and sixth letters, you get Red's Digest, which I just <laughs> thought is the most like ham handed, desperate way to like, find meaning in something that is it's that's got almost kind of like of a QAnon kind of beat to it. Oh, you know, you're like, oh, if I take out those letters, it becomes Red's Digest. You're like, what? Well, you could change any word to change, you know, it be anything could be turned into some sort of communist meaning if you want to. But that's, I guess that was a thing that in the culture that's that Red's so Digest had that. I guess I always, inter- I always wondered if it was just like seen as more kind of conservative just because the people in my life who had them were all like old and very conservative, but they must have all had that fear too, that they were being indoctrinated secretly by, um, by it. But yeah, it's, I just always thought that was funny. Cause we, you know, we had those. Yeah. You know, my grandmother yeah. used to get the large print editions and read them. <laughs> um, they were at the checkout counter at every supermarket yeah. for decades. Yeah. Yeah. I actually never learned that about reader's digest until, um, well, I made the connection. Another one of my passions is the TV show MASH. And yeah. there's an episode where Frank Burns is reading Reader's Digest and the crazy anti-communist, uh, super rabid anti-commie guy, Colonel Flagg, uh-huh. comes up to yeah. him and he says, what are you reading? And he says, sir, it's just reader. He goes, no, because this won't look good on your record. And he's like, sir, it's just Reader's Digest. He goes, not not when you eliminate the third, fifth, and sixth letters. Then you've got Red's Digest, comrade. And I was oh like, oh, goodness. is that what that is? It's Red's Digest? Like, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's the thing. So, I guess Bob is throwing that in as a oh, reference, yeah. uh, which I think is great. I think it's like a really fun little Easter egg for people that know what that means in 1964. But, you know, obviously, over the sands of time, we're like, I don't understand, you know. Um, and then the song ends. He says, I don't forget I'll be back there for a spell, even though Rita moved away and got a job at a motel. Yeah, there you go. He still waits for me, constant on the sly. Which is such a great turn of phrase. Yeah. Constant on the sly. He wants to turn me into the FBI. Me, I romp and stomp. Thankful as I romp without freedom of speech. I might be in the swamp. So, yeah, as you're talking about, he's got the freedom of speech thing in there. But then also he's throwing in one more Psycho reference because Psycho ends with a shot of the swamp, of yeah. the car being pulled out of the swamp, which features all the money, which everyone thinks is what the... Uh, uh, Norman Bates was after, but of course he was not. So it really is kind of wonderfully layered in with all these different things of like, okay, he's got this speech about, you know, freedom of speech, but then you've got Psycho moved in and you've got the kind of farmer's daughter joke. And so it's very goofy. I think it sits a little uneasily on the record in between the songs that it's in between. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like, like okay, now we're in this weird sort of jokey thing, but 
It is fun. <laughs> I mean, when I listen to it again today, and also I forgot the song is almost five minutes, which it's nine verses. It's a long song for a joke for kind of a one joke <laughs> song. You would think at five minutes, almost five minutes, it would wear out its welcome, but it actually goes by pretty fast, despite it being relatively long. I think because it's got such a great rhythm and it like it feels almost percussive, both the way he's playing his guitar and singing, and it just has such a great rhythm to it. And I think that's what really keeps the energy in it. It doesn't it, you know, especially, you know, it's funny because it's between two Ramona, which is very much like, you know, much slower and much, uh, you know, very different kind of song. And then you got my back pages on the other side of it. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's strange. It's placement between those two. <laughs> but it's like a little interlude between two fairly heavy songs. Right. And um, but it's got such uh, an energy to it. And. You know, when you, you know, I was listening today to it back to back with 115th Dream just to hear you. Okay, here's the electric kind of version of that. And I felt like, you know, the another side version, you know, I feel it's even more um, without all the accompaniments. It's like he really just like he's jamming. I think it's, it's got a great energy to it. And I think it flies by because of that. I mean, you, you don't think nine verses. His other nine verse songs, sometimes you're in, a, in it and you're like, this is nice. Like, you gotta know it keeps going. And that one just like flies by because it's got, it just moves at such a pace. It really does. Um, unsurprisingly, I think maybe not unsurprisingly, this has been performed zero times live. <laughs> uh, I mean, on the one hand, I say, ah, oh, that's, I mean, how could he ever do this live? But it's like, yeah, he could have, especially around this time. I could see him having a good time and, joking around and pulling this one out, but apparently he never has covers wise. I, I didn't find any covers by anyone of, of particularly famous, but there's a lot of covers. If you go to YouTube, oh, really, there's at least a uh, half a dozen covers uh, by various musicians. So obviously it's a song that people probably enjoy playing partly for the reason you're talking about. It's I think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a fun song to, to play. Um, I don't I'm gonna probably know. learn it tonight. Cause I realize I've never thought about the chords and I know all the lyrics. Do you, do you so, play? Okay. I do, yeah. But I've, 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 uh, yeah. I, it, I think it would be fun to play. You have to, you have to let us know. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, this is uh, again, it's never been done. And as far as I know, I don't, I am not aware of any alt versions. If there is any, I've not no. heard any. Uh, it, it appeared I think on the. Already did it on his fourth take. Yeah, I think he just. Yeah, I think I know on that record for another side. Like he did a couple of false starts, but there aren't too many full-on alternate versions of things again it i am curious about some of the songs he chose to not put on this record in favor of kind of silly stuff like this or i shall be i shall be free number 10 like you know he did mama you've been on my mind and like that doesn't make it on the record but then something (laughs) is silly like this but at the same as you're talking about he does get into the whole notion of free speech and probably as you're saying it was on his mind a lot so you know it's it's got a little more to it than you might expect uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's boy, but they, I, they, 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 as I was gonna say, the great outtake of Mama, you've been on my mind that I can't get my head off of is George Harrison singing it in the Let It Be sessions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It? Yeah. Yeah. My God. <laughs> so, you know, you never know. Bob might pull this out someday. Probably not, but, you know, I doubt it. Um, and I doubt I, it, I but, think, you know, I do think it, I, I think they're like, you can read this song. And hear it in a way that's contemporary again, in the era we're in, in the moment we're in, with the stupidity we have now, which is really what he's fighting against. Yes. With the kind of reaction to 
uh, progressive politics, the reaction to speech, to other things, you could definitely see it. But it, but it, its references are dated. And and so I think that's probably part of it. But it's fun to go back there, right? I mean, again, that's the portal idea is that, you know, I think it's cool. And I hope young people today are like listening to him and then on the other phone, like on, on their phone, like hitting Google and like figuring out what all this stuff is, because it's just you can learn so much listening to him about so many different things in the world and 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 the times and history. It's such a great thing. Tony Perkins, Fidel Castro, La Dolce Vita, Reader's Digest. I mean, <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff to dig. That's through. a lot to a lot for. You know, this is one song, and it's you know, it's a song a lot of people make fun of or don't listen to or ignore. I've heard people talk about write about another side, and they like just like, oh yeah, that is my psychedelic nightmare, and then they go to the like they don't even <laughs> spend time on it. And it's you know, I think it's interesting. And again, I think that whole point about cube at the time with both of the songs that reference it when i looked at the dates and realized that it kind of blew my mind um and 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 went back to that speech he gave at the liberties conference i mean at the liberty dinner that um you know getting booed for talking about free speech at a free speech dinner it, you know and the song kind of makes fun of all that i wonder if tony perkins heard about this i wonder if this got back to him you know <laughs> i heard of it like hey they made he must make- have he must have i mean you know, the album, this album wasn't huge, but, you know, Bob was big. Yeah, Bob was the coolest of the cool. And, and Tony was a kind of hip actor in the yeah. early 60s. He would have known that Bob referenced him in a, in a, in a, in a song. There's no way even his agent or like whoever, like he would know. And he would have probably been hip enough to know anyways. I hope so. Um, I, I hope, I hope he heard, yeah, I, I hope he heard he it. Know. I hope he enjoyed it because. Love Tony Perkins. He's a great actor. I, you know, I mean, he's masterful in Psycho, but he's, he was great in a bunch of other movies, too. Yeah. So I think anyone name checked in a Dylan song like should, you know, gets to take that to their grave. Like It's like oh, a pretty absolutely. cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alicia Keys gets to live with that one, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think she's a little tired of that. <laughs> I think she's a little tired I'm sure of she is. But like, it, still, but, yeah. it's kind of like to everyone else. It's like, holy shit, you got like a serious like, like you got a whole stanza, you know? Yeah. I. When you pitched this song, I was really curious as to what, you know, that you were going to make the case for it. Uh, because I was like, wow, this is not something most people would ever pick. So I was impressed that you went for it. And I really think you've made your case quite well, Paul. Thank you. I mean, you've, this, you've, you know, I, I do enjoy your show. Um, I love listening to you. I think that you do a great job with this. Um, and with the interviews and the way you look at it, I also love the way you laugh and the way you kind of like bring other pop culture to it in a way that's great. And I think sometimes people get so serious about these things. But I was going through the list of songs and just trying to think of songs that had a connection to me. And I just thought of my friend David and I like standing in the commons of our school, kind of belting the song out together, knowing that no one knew what the hell we were doing or talking about. But thinking that we were probably, you know, in my head like, oh, we might, you know, we know stuff. <laughs> we're hip we're hip to things it's a great um, feeling isn't it yeah and <laughs> and again just the way like this song led us into those corners that made me think of other dylan songs and albums over time that like became portals and ways to to learn so i think that's as i said to me it's one of the beautiful things about being a bob fan that you don't get from a lot of other music this song was one of those first ones that i think of with that which is beautiful Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, before we sign off here, now, normally I need to ask you the exit question. Now, 
the one I've been asking for the longest time is what recording session, any recording session would you want to sit in on? But I've, I'm, I'm slowly grandfathering in another question, which I started mm-hmm. last week, uh, which is, what bootleg series would you like to hear next? If it could be anything, so you can pick either one of the. Eventually, I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of the recording session question just because I've been asking right. it for a long time, and just do the bootleg series. But since it's still new, you can I you can answer either one, whichever one you prefer. You have an answer for for either of those. Yeah. Questions. Well, you know, I the 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 right answer I believe is to suck up to you and say street legal, but I don't it's know that my actual answer. Um. In, in, in reading about, you know, the ideas of what's left, I think that, um, you know, I'm intrigued by what's there with Oh Mercy, just because I, I, I do have a real connection to that album. I feel, you know, like cleaning up the coffee house days would be interesting. But, you know, the thing that when I think of what I'm, I dying to listen to, it's the Shadow Kingdom plus, 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 plus. We know he recorded a lot of other songs and I mean, we've heard Blown in the Wind, right? Mm-hmm. We saw what was on the show, and I love those versions. And we know there's a lot more, so I'm kind of just like wondering when are we going to get that. And I don't think that's a bootleg series; I think it's something else. But I'm really, you know, in seeing interviews with people where they're like, "Yeah, he did like 30 songs or something." I'm like, <laughs> "Which ones? And where are they?" You know, like so. To me, I'm like, I love, I loved the way he reworked those songs and those performances. And I'd love to know what else he did, and I'd love to hear those. And so that's that's the one that's most on my mind these days. But I think, you know, from from the list we know of what's left, I kind of like all of them are interesting. Like, you know, I when you're talking to Jeff Slate, you talked about generous this is. And I'm also a Beatles fanatic. And and just like the Beatles box sets generally suck. From from like they I I keep every time they release a new like box set i'm like can you guys get hold of like dylan's management and learn how to do this you know oh yeah we'll do disc five with like three songs hmm. what you know and because you know loves collect we know what else is out there and we're like excited it's gonna get cleaned up you know the um another beatles podcast i listen to always calls the let it be box the disappointment box <laughs> especially after we saw the film because you know when they did the 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 uh box of let it be they didn't consult at all what was happening in the movie. They wanted to be separate projects, which was dumb. And then we're seeing all these things in the studio. We're like, oh, my God, that's incredible. And then we get the box mm. and none of that's there. Mm. And they keep doing that. And, and it just makes me grateful for how generous they are. I mean, for someone who's so private and someone who like, and for how long they try to really block people from filming or taping when they couldn't, they've given up on that. But just the fact that they've released all this in universe, and I don't know about you, but I, when when the first bootleg series came out, that was the most mind-blowing. And probably the thing through the 90s that I listened to the most. I was listening to that all the time. I love that. And, and, you know, and then when 4 came out, it was just the greatest thing ever to me. Like, that's probably my favorite one. And, like, I think that that was the Live 66, you know, quote-unquote Royal Albert Hall but the, um, who, I mean, it's like, you know, I heard you saying, like, you can't imagine anyone else who has as much stuff. Or could, but the way it's recontextualized records, I mean, to go through the mid-80s or self-portrait through the way they've organized it has just been so incredible. And it's just like, it is the most generous, beautiful gift. I just, I've, I'm, 
So I, I kind of like, I don't care what the, cause every single one of these I've loved, there's not been one where I've been like, yeah, I mean the Johnny Cash will the less so. Cause it, you know, it was, I had that, like there was, it wasn't a huge, it wasn't as revelatory as others. Right, 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 right. I still enjoyed it, but it wasn't like as revelatory, but the, um, but every single one of the bootleg series I've just loved, I'm still working my way. I mean, I've listened through fragments, but I've got to like, you know, I created a playlist, right? Actually put the songs like in the, or like each song, all the versions of it, including the time on the mind version in the order that they were made just mm-hmm. to hear the progression. And just like, um, it's, it's such an incredible thing and you can play with it so many ways and all of these have been great. So I'm cool with whatever they want to do, but I'm certainly like really hoping for those shadow kingdom sessions. I mean, I don't know that that's what they'll call them, but whatever these sessions are, where they played all these songs again, I can't wait to hear all those someday. And I, I'm sure whatever the next bootleg series is, I'll get it from my local record store and I will listen to it and love it. So, yeah, I mean, you never do know what they're going to do, but it does seem like that the shadow kingdom stuff almost assuredly is going to come out at some point. It's brand new ish. You know, we know that again, it's 30 songs. I do wonder, did he record anything of a more recent vintage? Mm. Uh, Because it was so curious that the, the the Shadow Kingdom was sold as the early songs of Bob Dylan, even though it's got a No Mercy song in there. And you're like, well, did he, you know, are all the outtakes, you know, Oh Mercy and older, or did he record some newer stuff and they left that off? Mm. And then they were like, okay, let's bifurcate it as called there. Cause when you, the minute you call something the early something, you are inviting the audience to say, well, then there's going to be a volume two, which is the later <laughs> something, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're you're inviting me to make that leap so yeah it seems like shadow kingdoms almost certainly is going to come out at some point yeah i hope so and you know it and what other artists can have a song 27 years into their career be part of the early years the early years um (laughs) but it's like there was more time since then than yeah it's still if you break it in half that's like the first half you know yeah Yeah, um so incredible i mean nothing to this man uh well paul thank you for for coming on the show i really do appreciate it It was great talking to you why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet so uh my work which where i also write some other things is at leadinginsideout.org and i'm at paul schmitz one on twitter and those are probably the best ways to find me all right very cool well again thank you so much for doing the show i really appreciate it everybody you can find all the back episodes of Pod Dylan on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Bucky Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. I want you to see Psycho the way I originally made it, with every scene intact, the version TV did not dare show. The murderer, you see, crept in here very slowly. Of course, the shower was on, there was no sound. And uh... see it uncut, intact. No one will be admitted to see it except from the very beginning. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Rated M. Suggested for mature audiences. Parental discretion advised.